We are going to do a different kind of sermon this morning. Um, so we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, as we quiet our own hearts now, we ask that you would speak to us. Your will be done in Jesus' name. Well, for the past two months, uh, we've been talking about the paths that we as disciples of Jesus ought to be walking in. And uh, though his yoke is ultimately easy and his burden is light, uh, I think it's true, and I think you guys could probably relate to this, that sometimes it's hard to find the easy bits. Uh, sometimes it doesn't seem so light. So today, uh, I want to uh, uh, lead us in a special psalm of the overwhelmed. There are going to be no, no real visuals today except for uh, just the verse alone. Uh, there's going to be no uh, heavy metal screaming this sermon. Uh, sorry, I know, I know. Just a, just a simple psalm, and uh, it's, it's a psalm that is uh, a quiet psalm, almost a cliche psalm. Uh, it's one of the most memorized portions in all of Scripture. I'm going to read it, uh, not in a modern translation. We're not going to like read out of the message, even though it's a wonderful resource from the good folks at Nav Press. Instead, I'm going to read from a familiar, sorry, I love that joke, uh, from, from familiar poetic King James translation, 23rd Psalm. And hello. Before we begin, I want you to close your eyes and settle your hearts. And uh, I want us to take a moment to find the throbbing places inside of us, the thing that's continued to ache. Many of you are walking through seasons of pain, through the land of unanswered prayer. You're dealing with sicknesses that refuse to be healed. You're dealing with concerns for broken families and relational wounds. You're dealing with diagnoses that present disconcerting questions about your future. You're dealing with exasperation aimed at yourself and your own inability to get past sins that have easily entangled you. Find that throbbing place, whatever it is, and take a moment and we're going to bring it to God. Lord, you see our need. Now hear our heart's prayer as we pray alongside David, the psalmist. Amen. David begins, the Lord is my shepherd. This is already a humbling metaphor. David has been a shepherd, so he knows well the helplessness of sheep. And in pointing at the Lord as his shepherd, he's identifying himself with the single most skittish animal on the planet. He is a sheep. You and I are sheep. When I lived uh, outside of Mendocino, California, uh, we had sheep living on our ministry property. It was this gorgeous piece of land in the redwoods and uh, by the sea. It's right on top of a ridge. And right in the middle of the property was a pasture with horses and sheep. And the fence, it seemed like, would break. It seemed like every single day. So the sheep would get out. 
Now, here's what happened. You might see them as you're walking up the gravel road. You might see them from 50 yards away, and they would suddenly stop all as one and stare at you. All you had to do was flinch at them, and they would turn and run for their very lives. Now, it's funny, but it created a challenge for us. Because the only way we could get them back into the pasture was to hem them in from the proper angle. In essence, we had to scare them in the right direction. Now, see, many of us have lived our lives doing that very thing. Letting fear guide us in the directions that we go instead of the shepherd. Fear paralyzes us and then steers us from the outside. We can end up in, in places we, we never intended to be, spiritually, emotionally, even physically, places we, we never wanted to go, but because fear pushed us there, we ended up there. We've been scared in the wrong direction. We don't need someone who will motivate us by erratic fear. We need someone who knows the way. We need a shepherd. He calls sheep to himself. He beckons sheep to him. He leads Sheep, and the Lord is our shepherd. He walks among us, and while he walks, he calls us alongside himself. He takes us to the places we need to go, places of sustenance and safety, places we can rest from the things that make us afraid, turning fear into faith. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. There was an American teacher named Ray Vanderlaan who had spent some time with some young Jewish shepherds in, in Israel a few years back. Uh, and uh, they were in a meadow. He tells a story. The sheep are in, they're, they're, excuse me, they're not in a meadow. They're, they're just on this rocky countryside. And, and they have to go find grass, which is not that easy. It's not like you're living in Oregon with this lush valley. And while he was with them, uh, uh, they, they roamed to this one spot where it had rained the day before and where tiny little patches of green blades were cropping up from beneath the rocks. And the sheep stopped there and ate. And, it, and he was amazed by this. He goes, what do you call this grass? This is incredible. And the, the shepherd said, we call that green pastures. And he saw the look on Ray's face like, What? And he said, look, you Westerners have turned the 23rd Psalm into, into a picture of knee-deep alfalfa. That is not the intention. The shepherd leads the sheep to places where there's enough food for the day, not enough food for the lifetime. The sheep then have to rely on the shepherd and not the landscape. There is no place, this is, this is where it hits for us, guys. There is no place of perpetual safety or provision. There is no castle with walls that can never be broken down. There is no field that will promise eternal harvests. There's no investment that is safe from market crashes. There is no pill that will protect you from all of disease. It's sheer foolishness to pine for such a place that only exists in the celestial city. So what do we do in our world now with wars and recessions and viral infections? You know what we do? We follow the shepherd. 
He knows where we ought to go each day. He's not going to bring us to a place where we don't need him anymore. We have to follow him day by day. He leads us into sustenance. He takes us to places of peace. Every day he leads us to green pastures where we can rest. And he never grows weary of being faithful. That is our shepherd. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Many of us walk behind the shepherd with open wounds. We travel with, with questions and frustrations, with irritations, some directed at those circumstances around us, but some of it aimed directly at ourselves. We get frustrated with ourselves. We lick our wounds again and again, but they don't heal that way. We try and we try and we come up short each time and we wonder, can I ever learn to walk without falling? But the answer lies in our shepherd, not in us. The secret is his, not ours. The paths are the ones he's laid out for us, not the ones we've laid out for ourselves. It doesn't matter how clever we are or how hard we try. We don't know the paths that lead us to life. We don't know the paths that lead us to freedom. He does. So if we stay close to him and attune our ears to his voice, we can learn the new ways to walk, not over the old paths that we're used to. We can abandon those and let the shepherd choose the way that we walk to lead us into life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The great John Wesley's first assignment as a Christian minister was an utter and complete failure. He had been the, probably the single most promising student of the gospel in all of England, and he got his assignment after he graduated to become a missionary to the then American colony of Georgia. This was in the late 1730s. When he got there, he immersed himself in every type of Christian service imaginable. He, he ministered for hours and hours on end, hardly stopping for a rest. In fact, he and his friends started up a group called the Holy Club. That's what they called themselves, the Holy Club, where they were determined to fill their lives with unbroken service, unbroken devotion to the Lord. The only problem, as Wesley soon realized, was that he himself did not trust Christ. He himself, to his utter horror, realized he was not a follower of Jesus. And he was simply trying to, uh, to, to do something himself, to work himself up to that. He famously said, I came to America to convert the heathen, but oh, who will convert me? So he got on a, a boat to go back to England in utter disgrace. And somewhere along in the Atlantic, a, a, a horrible storm arose, and he was in the hull of that ship, tossing and turning, sure he was going to die, and he was utterly terrified. But there were some people around him, some traveling companions that were also missionaries, or Moravian missionaries, men, women, and children. And during the storm, they're singing hymns of praise to God. 
And he said to them, aren't you afraid? And they said, no. What about your children? Aren't they afraid? And the man smiled and said, no, our children are not afraid to die. Where did that kind of confidence come? It didn't come from the idea that fear was irrational. It didn't come from an idea that there was no danger there because there really was a danger of sinking. That really was a, a, a real possibility. There are real threats around that don't go away for us too. Some of you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you are walking through it right now. David says not to be afraid. Why should we not be afraid? Because disease is real. Death is real. Terrorism is real. Violence is real. All of these things that we see that keep us up at night, they are real and they have potential hazards for each and every one of us. And still, we do not fear. Why should we not fear? Because thou art with me. It's not because those things can't hurt you, because they can. But he says, I don't fear because thou art with me. The shepherd is with us. That's why we don't fear. And if he walks with us, there's nothing that can be stolen from us. You guys, we have to remember, this life we live in is just a breath. It's just a short portion of our eternal lives. It's all temporary. Sickness or car crashes or bombs or intercontinental ballistic missiles, nothing can steal the treasures of the soul that God has graced us with. Nothing can steal away his presence. Nothing can steal away him. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. It's easy to think David and the anointing of, of Samuel and his anointing to be king, but I do not think that's what he's referring to here. This anointing imagery was a lot more than, than just picking a king. You would be anointed to go to a party. Many places in the ancient world, when people came to a feast, the host would actually pour oil over their head that smelled good. For example, in ancient Egypt, people would put little wax cones on their head before they went to a feast, or at, excuse me, at the feast. The, the, the host would give that to them, and they would pour hot oil over their head, this yellow oil, and it would seep down their faces, seep down into the men's beards, and it would smell really, really good. Because it was party time, see? It's time to smell beautiful and to look all shiny. I don't get that part. It's a cultural thing. But this was in the ancient world. So here's David. His head is dripping with the oil of rejoicing. And his cup is overflowing with celebratory wine. This is a feast. They're having a feast. But where is the feast? It's right there in the presence of of his enemies. So right there, there's a table out in, in, in this field, and they can see the eyeballs of their foes looking through the bushes, and they can see their bows and arrows, and they can see the confusion on these faces in the shadows. Why in the world are these crazy people having a feast right here in the middle of danger? That is the scene. 
There is eating and drinking and dancing, but nobody's afraid. This is what David is inviting us into. Not a feast far away from troubles, but a feast right in the middle of them. A party in the presence of the things that ail us. A feast in the midst of our war. Joy in the midst of our aching. We can celebrate not because our foes have been vanquished, but because our shepherd is a really good shepherd. You're starting to see a theme here. Finally, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. G.K. Chesterton famously said, Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Isn't that good? I don't think he meant that Christians were the only ones who could experience joy. Rather, he meant Christians had an evergreen claim to it. As long as we clutch the hand of Christ, we hold on to the hope that one day all things will be restored in him. It is not always an obvious hope. In fact, it might be quiet, it might be a barely glowing ember laying amidst the dust of doubt and circumstance, but still, even in that hidden, secret state, it is grounds enough for joy. He will dwell in the house with us forever. We will dwell in his house forever, even though we're sheep. For all the beasts that might stalk us, the sickness and the threats and all the doubts and fears that hunt us down, there are greater things than those. Goodness and mercy, gigantic secrets of the Christian, both follow them. See, our foes themselves will pass away just like we will. But goodness and mercy will continue to pursue us into eternity, into the house of the Lord forever with our shepherd. Tyler, can you come? Can you hear David's theme ringing throughout this psalm? See, it's the same from the first verse to the last. The Lord is our shepherd. We follow him, not because he guarantees lush fields, but because he himself is enough for us day by day. We don't fear death, not because there is no chance of death, but because he walks through the valley with us. We have a dance party in enemy-occupied territory, not because our enemies are weak, but because he is strong. And no matter what happens to us, we will live happily in the home of our eternal Father forever. We've been talking about rhythms of a disciple and that can weigh down on us of all the responsibility that we have and all the ways we fall short and how difficult it can be to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We do have a responsibility to form habits of good sheep. But today, friends, I want to remind you, you the overwhelmed, you the aching with concerns, I want to remind you that your shepherd is the one who leads. Let him lead you into the places of peace, into places of rest, into places of intimacy. You are not in control. Let him be in control. 
Let him be your strength and your guide and your confidence. We are the sheep of his pasture, friends. And that is a high calling. That means joy is our secret. That means celebration is our code. That means laughter is our weapon. And the songs of hope will ever be on our lips. The Lord is our shepherd. And in him, we turn our fears into faith. We're going to sing this worship song that we closed on once again. And I invite you to invite him to be your shepherd and to sing this song of trust and faith in him. this word needs a response. Can we stand, please? I want to encourage you to come to the shepherd. We're going to symbolically have the shepherd up here. And come and lay those things at his feet that he needs to carry, not you. I think it's a time to respond to that. I'm coming myself. I felt overwhelmed the last few weeks. So if you need to say, okay, shepherd, I'm trusting in you, I want you to come forward. Prayer servant team, would you come? Be available for those who would like to be encouraged by you praying with them. But I, I believe it's a response time. We don't want to hear 
about all the things the shepherd's going to do and just go on without responding to it and saying, yes, Lord, I make that commitment and I give to you those things I don't have control of, but I'm trusting in you, the good shepherd. Would you come as we Tyler sings one more time? Just come and lay those burdens down. Give them to him. I'm coming so that we can respond to the Lord. And he is our good shepherd.